0: Welcome back, everybody. I am joined by Piper Kerman here at the beautiful Aspen Ideas Festival in Aspen, Colorado. Piper is the author of the best-selling memoir, Orange is the New Black, My Year in a Women's Prison, which chronicles the 13 months she spent in a federal correctional institution on drug trafficking and money laundering charges. Her memoir was adapted into the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Orange is the New Black, which is now in its fourth season. And Piper, welcome. Thanks for having me, Perry. So I have to start by asking you a question. You write this book and it becomes this major series on Netflix. How does that, how does that feel to see your story out there like that?
1: Well, what I hoped by uh, writing memoir about sort of the stupidest, most immoral choice I made and the consequences for that choice um, was that more people might start thinking and talking about the American criminal justice system and, and very specifically about the prison system, but really the, the, the criminal justice system as a whole. Um, And I believed that, first of all, we understand things from sort of the chicken's eye view, you know, an individual person or group of people um, who are really strong and clear characters. And, you know, I left prison just feeling like I was stunned by all the things that I had experienced and witnessed. And I thought that many, many people in this country don't have any sense of how our criminal justice system functions or fails to function. And so if more people knew and more people cared, then more people might ask for change. So that was my hope in terms of sitting down and actually writing the book. But I think and it's a really good point, because there is such a
0: disconnect between the public and people who are in prison. and. I think that it's very easy for, for those of us on the outside mm-hmm. to say, well, we don't need to care about what happens in our prisons. I just finished a documentary about uh, inmates who train dogs to become service dogs for veterans with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And I it's, it's hard because people are very willing to say, I don't need to worry about that. I've got so many things I need to worry about in my own life. Why do I need to worry about people who have done something wrong mm-hmm. against society? Mm-hmm. And yet we do need to care.
1: We absolutely do. You know, of course... Um, Vastly, disproportionately, you know, the people and the families and the communities most affected by the criminal justice system are poor communities and disproportionately poor communities of color. Eighty percent of people who are accused of a crime in this country are too poor to afford to hire a lawyer. Um, In talking about my own experience, you know, I'm an upper, upper middle class college educated white woman. Um, I hoped that talking about my own experience might get some people who wouldn't otherwise pick up a book about prison to be interested in reading a book about prison. And I thought that if if I told the story in a way that was accessible to a very broad number of people, that that just that just seemed like a good approach to me. And of course, I'm incredibly grateful that Genji Cohan, who is so brilliant was interested in the book and was interested in the story. And because Genji Kohan is so brilliant, Netflix was interested in what Genji wanted to do. And of course, here we are with a much, much wider audience to these stories that are depicted in the show, which are of course, fictional stories. The characters are adaptations in some Mm -hmm. cases from the book, but the vast majority of what goes on in the show um, leaps from the book and, and goes in all kinds of different directions. But there is, many, many fundamental thread lines and spines of truth and of real world issues that are present in the show. Um, And so, you know, it has exceeded my wildest dreams in terms of what I hope to accomplish with the book.
0: You know, and I think about the success of the show, it does make me think, obviously, because I've I've watched it, it's tremendous entertainment value, but you obviously are interested in communicating some very real issues that are happening Mm -hmm. in our prison system. Do you think or what has the feedback been to you? Is that getting through
1: or is or it become more of a show that's really based in entertainment? I think that different people come to the show and to the stories that are told in the show with different life experiences of their own. So for example, very young people, and the show has a huge audience among, you know, high school kids and college kids. Um, young people, particularly uh, fortunate young people, come to the show and have more questions like, is this real? Uh, Young people who are more street smart or, or, you know, have been exposed to more sort of troubling situations in their own lives and older people who have sort of seen what goes on in the world come to the show and a little and more so reflect back. This really reminds me of something that I know of a coworker or a family member, or you know somebody else I know who is in some way touched by the criminal justice system, or all the other systems like the foster care system that intersect with the criminal justice system. And so I think that the audience brings their own lived experience to the story. That's true for a book true. that's also true for a, for a TV show. And what's, what's wonderful is that a a, a popular show like the Netflix series reaches literally tens of millions of people. And they engage with these characters on a passionate level. They care about these characters who, of course, are fictional women. But what I want, what I hope that uh, many viewers of the show reflect upon is that there are stories that are very similar that are taking place right in their communities, in their local city or county jail or in the state prison that is closest to their home. And that you know these stories tether back to the real world and right into their communities. You mentioned obviously
0: being a woman. Two thirds of women doing time in federal prison are behind bars for nonviolent drug offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, the targets of those of those drug offenses may be men, but many of the victims seem to be women. In fact, so much so it's been some of these conspiracy laws have been dubbed the girlfriend mm-hmm. the girlfriend laws because so many women have been kind of ensnared in this in this system did you did you see any of that and what are your thoughts about Um, what's happening. I mean, communities are really being decimated by the fact that so many women are winding up going to prison for
1: these nonviolent offenses. Absolutely. So the vast majority, at least two-thirds of women in both state and federal prisons, Mm -hmm. are there for nonviolent offenses. Now, of course, a nonviolent offense can still have a victim. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, the vast majority of women who get locked up are locked up for pretty low-level offenses, drug offenses, low-level property crimes. Um, And so the effect that those women's incarceration have has this tremendous echo effect because most women in prison are moms. Most of those incarcerated moms are the moms of minor children. So suddenly when we choose to incarcerate a mom, her kids are very likely left unprotected. Maybe that family is able to provide for those children, but when we lock up a mom, her kids are five times more likely to go into the foster care system than when we lock up a dad. It's devastating to lose a father into prison or jail, but it's seismic when it's a mother. Um, So the effect on, you know, families and on those broader communities is really, really profound when we choose to incarcerate a woman. And so often we choose to incarcerate women for low-level offenses, not for the violent crimes that most concern us. I always say that female incarceration in the United States is a very ordinary and everyday example of how committed we've been to harsh punishment in this country. When we think about the death penalty, when we think about sentencing children to die in prison, we're one of the only countries in the world that would ever do that. (laughs) Um, Those are extreme examples because those tend to be, you know, responses to very serious offenses. But when we incarcerate women in the United States, it is a much more ordinary and everyday use of harsh punishment. And I think that that is something to think about because I think, you know, many people are not going to move off of harsh punishment for serious for, for murder or for, you know, a very terrible sexual assault. But thinking about whether incarceration is really the best choice for a low-level drug offense, for a low-level property crime, is worth thinking about because it's very expensive to incarcerate people um, broadly. Uh, and it's a very expensive intervention to think about um, using a prison or a jail cell as our solution to things like drug offenses. You no, know, not the best way to rehabilitate individuals. No. Piper, in is the two minutes we have left on our podcast, I'm curious, what are you working on now? Right now, I teach nonfiction writing in two state prisons in Ohio. Uh, a women's facility and a men's facility. My students are amazing and fascinating and the stories that they are choosing to tell about their own lives are, you know, they're beyond. They're so interesting. They're so heartbreaking sometimes. They're so funny sometimes. And um, the similarities and differences between my female and male students are really interesting to me. Um, The men sort of take to Uh, telling their own stories in epic terms like fish to water, it's more coaxing. Uh, Women don't always think about their lives in epic terms, and particularly women who are among the most marginalized women who are the women and girls that we put in prison. So that um, I've been doing that for about a year and a half, and I just I really am very grateful to be able to do it, uh, and the department is allowing me to, to do that. And so my students are writing their own stories, and we're also reading first-person narrative nonfiction, generally memoirs, by people who have been incarcerated, people who have worked in the system, like prison guards and uh, and prison librarians, for example. And so my students are also analyzing those stories and the different ways that those people have chosen to tell their own tales.
0: And Piper, you we were just talking about the seismic impact that incarcerating a, a woman brings, not only to the family, to the community, to the country as a whole. It, it leads us to, to talk about what are alternatives to incarceration and what you're thinking about on that topic.
1: So um, first and foremost, when we think about what drives female incarceration, it's three things. Uh, the, th- the common threads that we see that, that drive women's involvement in crime and potentially their incarceration are substance abuse, mental illness, sometimes those things overlap, and Uh, an astounding rate of victimization prior to incarceration. So 80 to 90% of incarcerated women and girls have been sexually assaulted or otherwise physically abused prior to being incarcerated. So one of the things that we could do is really think long and hard about making sure that we intervene in violence in the community earlier and in different ways. And, uh, you know... (laughs) In Los Angeles County, you know they have a 30% clearance rate on homicides of African American people. In other words, they're only solving 30% of murders if the victim is black. If you go to other communities which are demographically different, you will see much higher clearance rates on violent crime if the victim is not, from a poor community and from a community of color. And so we need to get people... Who are most likely to be victimized by violence help much earlier, and we need need to intervene in those cycles because that's actually when the chickens come home to roost. When we see people who haven't gotten help, children or young people who haven't gotten help when they need it, you know, those cycles of violence or crime are perpetuated. So, first and foremost, there's that sort of preventative and having a much more um, attentive, early, and substantive intervention in poor communities, which are more likely to be plagued by problems that then result in crime. Once a woman is actually in the system, or a girl, there, you know, if she's not a threat to public safety, and most incarcerated women are not threats to public safety, <laughs> um, it makes much more sense to keep her in the community and to get her accountability measures and help that she needs, and so a good example um, in New York City, where I live, the Women's Prison Association is a is a long-standing nonprofit. It's been around since the 1840s. I've been involved with them for a long time. We have a an alternative to incarceration program called Justice Home, which has been around for about three years. And basically, with the consent of a district attorney and a judge who have a case in front of them, a woman who is facing at least a year in prison, if not more is given the chance to remain at home. Usually, you know, all these women have children. And she has accountability measures and monitoring, but she also gets the help she needs, and that might be substance abuse help, it might be mental health help, it might be educational or vocational help. Um, The success rate is remarkable, and people are proud of the program, but the truth is that it is hard to get district attorneys to send all of the cases that those programs merit, alternative to incarceration or even alternative to conviction programs. And there are more and more of those programs around the country, but they tend to get really small caseloads. And there are far more people, both men and women, who could benefit from those programs.
0: You mentioned the these programs that you're involved with. How can people become involved in this issue if they if they want to learn more or if they want to if they
1: want to just become involved in the issue? I think that um, that community focus is always what's most helpful. So there is a there is a jail or a prison proximate to almost everybody's home or community. Mm-hmm. So going down to the local jail to the lo- closest state prison and saying hey i would like to do some volunteering once a year once a week once a month whatever your capacity is all of those facilities um should have volunteer programs some some facilities have very robust volunteer programs and you know that's where an individual person's own interests and skills and talents you know can really bring a great deal to bear whether you're a person of faith whether you're interested in helping you know with a literacy program and you know and of course Educational deficit is one of the biggest predictors of whether someone will end up in the system. So when a kid drops out of high school, his or her chance of going into the criminal justice system just skyrocketed. So uh, you know, there's lots and lots of different ways that people can get involved directly, and people might find it scary to go to a prison or a jail. But I think um, those facilities, when they are well run, know how to make sure that volunteers are. Have, and it's you know, an incredibly an meaningful absolutely. experience. It really is. I completely agree. Piper, before we let you go, I'm curious, you've been out of prison now 17 years? I was released from prison in 2005. Okay. How is your life now? <laughs> my life is busy, <laughs> uh, I'm happy to say, and I, and I like to be busy. Um, you know, I am a, I'm a parent, and, uh, you know, my husband Larry and I are busy on that front. I'm very grateful to be able to do the work that I do in prisons with incarcerated people because, you know, at the end of the day, those are the folks who it's all about for me. And I'm very, very grateful for the increase in discussion and debate around you know, the fact that America incarcerates more of its people than any society in human history because it's worth really discussing. Incredible. Yeah. It
0: absolutely is worth discussing. And we're so pleased that you are a part of that conversation and that you took time to come talk to us. Oh, my Piper, pleasure. thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks, Barry. Piper Kerman, author of Orange is the New Black, My Year in a Women's Prison. Piper, thanks so much. Thanks.